I have a friend who any dating profile that had a picture of a guy holding a fish because so many of men on dating profiles put up pictures of them holding fish like we're still in hunting hunter and gathering uh times but she would just immediately x them from this side of paradise welcome to eden revisited podcast that puts shovel to soil and cultivates those interior gardens for the re-enchantment of culture. Join us as we get to the wonder by getting in the dirt and sowing the seeds of faith. Hello and welcome. This is Eden Revisited, and I'm Austin Kleiss hosting today's episode. I have a very special guest, Grace Carroll, who is a Rhode Island native, a runner, a former teacher that's moving into a different role, and perhaps most important for today's episode, she is also someone who I happen to be in a relationship with, and we will be talking about relationships and specifically marriage today. Grace, how are you doing? I am doing well. I never thought I'd be on the podcast, but here I am. And I don't think you ever really wanted to be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But as we may explore in today's episode, you know, sometimes dating and, you know, relationships lead to things you don't want that that (laughs) may turn out to be good. I don't know. We'll see how it goes yeah jury's still out on that one (laughs) (laughs) okay well I'm, I'm excited and let's go ahead and dive in here so the topic for today is going to be um about courtship it's going to be about marriage and we're going to kind of talk about it in a few different ways what I thought might be fun is to go through some examples from the books the pages of history on what dating and what courtship has looked like previously uh, I'll give you, I'll kind of, I'll kind of lay out the scenes and then maybe you can kind of comment on those and we can talk about it in the context of our own relationship. What's good, what's not good and go from there. How does that sound? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right. So this first example, I'm going to call the scientific. And this is the example of like how maybe a scientist would describe courtship. They wouldn't say marriage because as you'll see, it's, it's not like that, but they may, they might, they may, may describe it in the context of like the animal kingdom. They may say something like, okay, there, there are two animals that are courting. You can think of peacocks. You can think of hippos, turtles, whatever your favorite animal is. And generally speaking in this courtship sort of relationship, the male initiates the courtship and then the female chooses, chooses to either reject or accept and mate with the male based on his performance in like these courtship exercises. So I think one that everyone's familiar with is like the peacocking. And we kind of use that in our culture now where the male peacock, the kind of the one with the huge sort of feathery circle around it. I don't know how else to describe that kind of does this dance and kind of walks around and shows off its feathers. There's a, there's a number of other dances. Um, there's these sparrows that do this really funny, interesting thing. Uh, I forget their exact name. I'll put in the show notes. 
um, where they kind of like do this crazy elaborate dance and the, and the female bird, you can kind of see her. She's just kind of watching and being like, uh, you know, like, let's see, let's see how good his stamina is. Let's see, um, you know, how, I, how well he's able to perform this routine and then makes a decision. So she's essentially sizing him up based on his attributes and saying, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Then they mate, they have offspring, and then they usually go their separate ways. So that's maybe like the scientific or, or Darwinian kind of example of marriage or courtship rather. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's all based on that biological desire to procreate and to have one's offspring survive. So you're choosing a mate based on traits that increase survival chances for your offspring. Um, is that so, good? Yeah, is that bad? What do you think? I mean, I think we see it today to some degree in different ways. Maybe not as blatant as that, but I don't know. Have you seen dating profiles before? I have. You've seen yeah. Some maybe, or them at least. I for the hot second that I was on Hinge, dating profiles. I mean, people are in a few words or few pictures trying to, I think, make an impression that. I don't know, is highlighting their height and like physical stature, talking about men's profiles here. So kind of the physical attraction and then also maybe the job that they have as that is kind of like a survival um, attribute for a potential mate, kind of that like security that a mate may be interested in. Or I have a friend who any dating profile that had a picture of a guy holding a fish because so many of men on dating profiles put up pictures of them holding fish like we're still in hunting hunter and gathering uh times but she would just immediately x them swipe left she's like why do you need to try to impress me by showing me a picture of the fish that you caught so i think we still see it today a lot of fish guys out there I know. I guess they think it's attractive. So you're saying that in the sense of, you know, there's, there's some weirdness there, maybe with the selfies in the, in the bathroom, you know, maybe shirtless, shirtless selfies, the shirtless selfies, right. And kind of like, you know, the sort of showboating or peacocking, but, but is there also a good in that? Like, is that also necessary that, that men are trying to uh, like highlight that part of themselves? Like, what if, what if it was the complete opposite? Like, what if a guy would took like a, a selfie on the, on the couch eating like a bag of Doritos or something like that? Yeah, you're right. I think, I mean, we are biological creatures, so there is something there that's attractive. I also thinking the other way too, female profiles, what are the things that we as females try to put out there to make it seem like we are attractive mates or like potential I don't know, good, could be good mothers to offspring. Like I'm sure there are, I think, yeah, I think there is some good there. There's um, an interest in like longevity and security and stability. And obviously we want to date someone who we do find attractive, not just physically, but that they have attributes that we want to emulate or that we'd want to pass down to offspring, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a very real thing. I mean, we maybe don't think about it as physically anymore. Like when it's attributes, it's not like usually people aren't sizing 
other people up and be like, well, I really like brown hair. I better find someone with brown hair. I mean, maybe that happens to a small degree, but it's, you at least want attributes in their personality and in their character and the virtues that mm -hmm. they could raise, you know, a family and, you know, develop that same attributes in, in your kids. And I think that's important. So I think the attribute or like the Darwinian sort of mind is often, you know, there's a lot wrong with that, but I don't think it's completely wrong in that. Um, I think there's, a, I think there's a reality to it. I think the, the way we met was on a dance floor. Um, <laughs> it was not a, a mating dance though. <laughs> it was definitely not a mating dance, but I, I think there, I think, um, there's something to that. Like when you dance with somebody, there's, there's like a yin and yang that kind of relates to this. And, and, you know, we danced at a at Nick and Morgan's wedding shout out to them. Um, and so I, I, you know, there's like, there is still the dance. And I think that's, that's still worth, you know, thinking about that. We still do have those customs, you know, they're, they're deeper and more symbolic than kind of the, the scientific way of looking at them, but, uh, it's, they're still there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Okay. So let me give you another example of now we're going to, uh, 17th century Wales. Uh, and in 17th century Wales, there was this thing called the bundling bag. So the bundling bag. Now, a lot of people think kind of today's dating world is, is complicated. The, the dating world then was quite complicated. So let me give, give like a typical example of, you know, what you would do if you're in 17th century Wales. This was right around the time where people were kind of becoming enlightened to this idea of feelings and intimacy uh, and things weren't just kind of uh, practical. So we'll talk about what that looked like before, but, you know, relationships were kind of based on love. They're, they're starting to be based on love, but they're still figuring it out. So in Wales, what you would do, if you were a man and you were kind of interested in a lady, you would go to her parents' house because there would be no reason for her not to be living with her parents. And you would say, Hey, you know, we've been kind of talking and courting and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in taking this to the next step. And the parents would kind of look at you and size you up and say, okay, so you want to do that? You can stay over for tonight. And so that sounds like immediately like what you would stay over. Um, but this is how it worked. So when it came time for everyone to go to bed, they would put the woman in a bag and tie it around her waist. So they'd put this bundling bag, like kind of think of like a, a sackcloth or something like that and tie it around her waist. And there's even accounts of them tying it around, like all the way up to the neck. And then they would put the couple in a bed. Um, and then to add even more kind of like weirdness to this whole situation is they would put like a board between the couple. And the idea here was that you could grow an intimacy from closeness, but you wouldn't lose any of the, you wouldn't lose your purity because you would be, you know, she would be in, like literally in a sack, like the whole, like, this is like the first chastity belt maybe. Uh, and you would, you know, you guys would just be next to each other. I don't, I think the parents were also in the bed. I'm not sure on that, but I'm pretty sure the parents were also in the bed. And so here you are with your girlfriend's parents. Um, she's in a sack, you know, there's a wood board between you and her. And then the parents are there as well. How does that sound? <laughs> It's cozy. <laughs> I that's kind of traumatizing. I think if we think about it happening today, um, yeah, I guess a neat cultural tradition. But I'm glad we don't do that anymore. It seems it seems like it's maybe 
the spectrum is maybe flipping there. So like in the first example, it's like purely sizing people up and saying, okay, this mate has the right characteristics and attributes. And like, let's just get to the business and create offspring. And in this example, it's like about intimacy without losing purity, but it seems like it's still maybe not right. Um, would you agree? Yeah, it's still, it seems very narrow and um, missing kind of the totality of of what a relationship is supposed to be like and what those two people desire. It's so, almost yeah, like constrictive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like they're, you're kind of squeezing out, like there is a physical intimacy and like, yeah, there's a real chance of like losing one's purity. I think if you were to sleep over and I, you know, I wouldn't recommend that, but like, it's like, why are you even like, why do you even need to be in this bed if you're not married? It's like a weird idea of what intimacy really is. It's just like, they feel that through just this closeness with all these kind of artificial separations that there's some sort of intimacy that grow, would grow. And I don't know that to me, that just kind of, that kind of feels weird. Plus the parent chaperones. It's odd. <laughs> it's odd. Yeah. I think that's a, that's maybe a good way to describe it. So let's go to the third example. And this is more kind of a, a, a general example um, of old kind of customs of courtship and tradition of, of dating. This is kind of the bride wealth tradition um, and the dowry tradition uh, in the arranged marriages. So we could even look back kind of at biblical times. I think, you know, a common story is Caleb um, gave his daughter to Anthel, or I forget exactly how you say the name. This is in the book of Joshua uh, as a reward for capturing a city. And there's, you know, numerous other uh, examples. David's first wife came from an exchange for killing a certain amount of Philistines. So there's like this example of like marriages being set up as a reward. And then what happens from these marriages typically is that they're like for the common good or for society. Like it makes sense. Um, This is kind of the era of when we think about like kings and queens getting married for two nations to come together. This is the era of arranged marriages, you know, so that both families may benefit from this. And, you know, whether it's financially, whether it's from like a, a, a place in society and kind of your social standing in society. Um, so what do you think about this example? I can see some um, kind of touch points with courtship today, just in kind of in our understanding of it, that obviously families are involved and friends are involved. I think it's really important in courtship to spend time with one another's family and friends. And I think you learn a lot about the other person in and through that. And obviously, you know, I want my family to really like you and to enjoy having you around because, you know, if this leads to marriage, then you are a part of that family. So there is a concern, I think, for families input and um, to maybe a different degree than all of this. But I think there is something positive here in terms of um, wanting the relationship to be good also for one's community and one's loved ones. I think we say that like, just because I mean, in Christian marriages, we get married before our community of loved ones before, you know, in a parish too. And so I think we do hope that that relationship bears fruit for that group gathered there. Right. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is, I think what you're getting at is really the good point of this and that marriage is not, and we'll talk about this in a second, a little bit later here. 
But marriage is not just about the couple. It's there is a serious societal impact of a marriage. And I think, you know, kind of the early Jews understood this really well that like the family is kind of the building block of society. Now they looked they looked at the family a little differently than we look at it now. It was kind of larger in that even can look at kind of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph of like the caravan coming back, you know, from Jerusalem and like Jesus was gone for a couple of days and Mary and Joseph didn't know. Like that would have been totally common then because there was extended family that would often take kids, you know, care of the kids and and uh stuff like that. It wasn't like you just were in your nuclear family, like the 1950s American family. But family was super important and it still is. Like I think there's something good in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I also like how you brought up that. Yeah. You like, I, I think I'm going to be seeing your family here in August. Um, so like, what should I know? What's like, what are the, <laughs> what are the insider secrets? Like, what do I need to do? Do I need to go fishing with your dad? Yeah. You're probably going to have to go fishing. I don't know. What is this with men and fishing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but he'll be very impressed if you catch a big striped bass. So <laughs> I don't yeah. really care though, no, just on the record. <laughs> what about what it, what do I need to know for your mom? What's uh what's the insider trick there? Oh my mom's easy. She's just bring uh, some flowers. Yeah, hydrangeas. You've already done that. You've you've met my parents before, so you're yeah. fine. No pressure. <laughs> it's but it's a it's a it's a fun thing to kind of talk about. Like that's that should be like a big stage in a relationship. Like the blessing of the parents. Um, what do you think about that? I love that. <laughs> I, especially I'm so close with, you know, my family and my siblings. And um, I know before my brother-in-law proposed to my sister, he asked my dad kind of for his blessing. I think it's so cool that this, <laughs> this could potentially be more work in the future, but I would love, you know, for my future spouse to get the blessing of my siblings too I think it is it's this kind of a welcoming of this new person this new life in in the family so I don't know I think it's a a Christian marriage is also hopefully an occasion for celebration amongst the extended family as well uh okay so let's let's move on here so we talked about kind of the the Darwinian sort of scientific approach we talked about like the the intimacy and puritanical slash intimacy slash puritanical approach to courtship. And then we kind of talked about the historical examples in the old Testament um, with dowries and this thing called bride's wealth and, and kind of like earning, you know, earning the hand in marriage through, you know, either killing a number of people in David's case um, or money or status or something like that. So, as we do in this show, let's return to the garden and kind of revisit what it could be like, or what maybe one ideal of it is like, um, and talk about Adam and Eve as all good conversations about men and women, marriages and courtship start, right? (laughs) Back to the very beginning. Yeah. Back to the very beginning. Um, so I think the first thing, uh, to recognize when I was kind of reflecting and thinking about this and, and maybe the first thing that gets forgotten in, 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 con, in, in modern culture is that Adam and Eve's first relationship was to God. They weren't created by themselves. They didn't generate themselves. And we can kind of get into the root of that word and what that means, but it was through a generous God that they were created. They were not, um, 
they didn't start themselves they were created beings um and i think that's the first relationship to understand when i'm thinking about this does that make sense to what that is yeah i think we just in society today often forget that we are created beings and that we're limited and finite and that there will be a time when we are no longer here. And so I think remembering that we were created by God and created by a God who is love and um, we were created to love. And that's actually like our deepest vocation. Mm. And that's our first and primary vocation because um, that will lead us to be in union with God in the next life. So yeah, I think we for, we forget about that all the time. So, okay. So you use a, a lot of like flowery words there. Let's, let's <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just, a, just to question those for a second. So like when you say God is love and we're created to love, like, so I'm created to like have strong feelings towards you. Like I, what, like I'm created toward like, be nice and kind is that i mean when we're talking about love what are we talking about there <laughs> i hope you have strong feelings towards me <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe part of it yeah. um but yeah i think i mean you and i we don't believe in soulmates we believe that love as thomas aquinas said is to will the good of the other so yes hopefully we have fallen in love and we um, feel that deep connection and desire to be with the other person. It can't stop there though. And um, I do know that it is a decision to say yes to that person, to will their good, which doesn't always mean you feel like doing it or that it's easy or that it brings you pleasure. I think actually willing the good of the other person. And we see this just in our courtship to certain degrees. It's hard sometimes to will the good of the other person. It's maybe losing sleep or making sacrifices, doing things we don't want to do. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of suffering, I think, that comes with willing the good of the other person. So yeah, I can I can speak in flowery language, but I think true love beyond just the feeling is really hard work. Yeah. I, well, I love what you said there in that the soulmate thing is like really prevalent. Like mm -hmm. I, I think I heard that. And I think I bought into that for a number of years of like that, that true love was really about finding, finding something out there. I was like, kind of like, okay, if I just like, um, like, who's it going to be? Like, who's going to be that, the one, right? Like, who's going to be the person out there that I kind of just like uncover like a hidden gem. And then through finding that person, the love's already going to exist and it's going to be perfect. But I think that's maybe exactly the wrong way to say it, to think about it. Like you were saying in that the Christian idea of, of love is more of like the martyr symbol of like what the martyr looks like in that it's like they choose neither the time nor the place, but it's like they have to die to something and it's still an act of love. Yeah. I think that's actually maybe the truest act of love. We, we see that in scripture in 
Christ laying down his life for his friends. I think also the problem with the whole soulmate narrative is that we buy into the idea that one person can complete us or can Mm. satisfy all of our deepest longings. And it's related to what you were saying before that we forget that we are created by God and created to be in union with God. So eventually that person that we have dubbed our soulmate is no longer going to fully satisfy all of our longings. And then I think that's when people have this existential crisis or, um, you know, file for divorce or something like that, because no created being can fully satisfy the longings that we have in our hearts because those can only be satisfied by God. That's yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. That's something I think worth remembering is like, there is that fiery, like CS Lewis talks about like that fiery explosion of courtship and dating and like the, you know, initial few years of marriage, but that will have to die as all passions have to die. Like, the whole idea of the Christian life is, is dying to your passions and ordering them to God, right? It's not about like completely getting rid of all your passions and becoming a robot. It's about all your passions become, you know, ordered to God. And when this relationship that is the strongest in a lot of ways, passion uh, starts to fade, I can't imagine what that feels like. I can't imagine if, if that's the only vocabulary you have is like soulmate and like the one and they stop becoming your soulmate and they stop becoming the one as often happens. It's like, Whoa, like what, <laughs> what do I do next? Yeah. I think I had mentioned before, just, I think the ultimate example of sacrificial love that hopefully we are aspiring to emulate is that example of Christ dying on the cross. And I think it is this reversal of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, because when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they said my will, not God's will. And we have on the cross Christ saying, not my will. He asked God to let this pass, let this cup pass, um, if it be God's will. But he said, God's will, not my will. And so we, I think we do have this reversal of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the kind of hearkening back to Genesis, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, at that moment, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, God said, like, I, I promised to send my son. So it's kind of this full circle mm-hmm. reversal. And yeah, I think in and through our relationships, whether they're our friendships or familiar relationships or romantic relationships, we have the invitation to partake in that sacrificial love that we see Christ demonstrate on the cross of you know, saying God's will, not my will and kind of dying to self. So I think for people who are called to marriage, I'm sure that's kind of the primary means to do that. Especially if you have children, just dying to self happens, I think all the time. So yeah, we have a really prime example of that with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, dying to self is, is that idea of like, the Christian, the two Christians that get married with crowns and the crowns are like the symbol again of like 
their death to self and their, their martyrdom, um, their sharing in the crown of Christ on the cross, right? Like that's the crown you're getting when you're getting married. Mm-hmm. I've also seen some people hold a crucifix as they're saying their vows. So it's like them putting themselves up on that cross and then they'll hang it somewhere in their home, mm. which I think is a really cool symbol and physical reminder in the mundane days of married life that like we put ourselves up on that cross with Christ. Oof. Yeah. So it started at the tree ends at the cross. Um, and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot there. So, okay, let's, let, let's take a shift here. Um, there was an article that came out a few years ago in I think time magazine, um, that it didn't necessarily get into the sort of soulmate kind of finding the one thing, but it did get into kind of another common thing we see nowadays, which is people getting married and glorifying what is like a child-free life. So spicy, I know, but, but talking about this idea of like the glorification, I think, you know, essentially in the article, they talk about how, Hey, for so long, people thought that getting married was all about having kids. You know, we're, we're trying it differently. We're not, we don't want to have kids. We actually have more time. We have to make less sacrifices. It's better. Like we can work on ourselves more. So what do you think of that? <laughs> I, I'm thinking of something my mom said to me at one point that, so I'm one of four and she said, yeah, we'd, we'd have more money, less stress and a lot less fun. And I would say a lot less love if they, she was talking about if they didn't have four kids. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, I think, especially in Christian marriages, just as God created out of love, a Christian couple creates God willing out of like, out of love, their love overflows in creates a new person. And and I mean, we both here, we know people who've, who have struggled with infertility and, you know, pray for that, for them who are carrying that cross. But yeah, the glorification of the child's free life, I think is, is not maybe living fully into the Christian vocation of marriage, where that love overflows to bring new life into the world, just as we see, or we saw in the garden with the creation of Adam and Eve. So kind of a connection back there. I also think about this idea um, of like, the, you know, this is maybe even a step in the right direction of the glorification of the child-free life. Cause it at least, at least there's someone else in, involved with that. I think about something that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot is like, he talks about these, these men or or rather these boys who are like in their basement and like, through video games or movies kind of have like this, this ideal picture of like, like this woman. Um, And he talks about like how, you know, she's perfect in every way, but then when, whenever these men kind of picture this woman, when they're meeting a real woman, they can't ever have a relationship because they've glorified this fantasy version of reality. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, it's probably, and we should really defer here to Nick and Morgan and Tyler and Iona because we don't, yeah, we don't know what know. we're talking about. This is what we do on Eden Revisited. We talk a lot about what we don't know, though. And so it's totally, we know what we're talking about. Okay. It's totally in line. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Um, well, yeah, I just have done enough 
babysitting and seeing my niece and nephew I, that I think parenting and marriage can be messy and chaotic and mundane and everyone kind of tells me especially parents that they have no idea what they're doing yeah, yeah like I, I even think about it right now like it's fun kind of talking about it and being like oh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice and it's like this martyrdom and it's just like this epic journey and like you know there's gonna be all these great milestones there's also going to be a lot of just daily stuff that just is not glorious. It's, you know, there's kind of this, maybe, maybe this is just my mind, but it's like, yeah, like every day is going to be like on the field of, you know, it's easy to glorify, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's like easy to be like, I'm going to be a lot of insurance. I'm going to make these heroic sacrifices. I don't know. Just all these mundane things that no one else sees. Yeah. And that's kind of the the C.S. Lewis, I think this is the same quote that you referenced before, kind of like the explosion of falling in love. That is what starts, I think he calls it like this quieter engine that then keeps you going through the decades. So kind of the explosion starts it all and it transforms into this quieter engine of love. Mm. (laughs) It gives you that initial burst to build the virtues I think you need after things kind of die down a little bit. I don't know. This is all theory. We're just like armchair marriage experts here. But um, any, I guess, any final thoughts for people who are out there listening and and are curious about this? (laughs) There is just so many, there are so many writings out there from the church and from Catholic and Christian theologians. So um, yeah, we both, we've mentioned C.S. Lewis. He's a favorite of ours. Um, but Severe I just Mercy. Read, we read that together. Yes, that was great. Yeah. Severe Mercy. And then I just read by love refined by Alice von Hildebrand, um, and was sending all these different quotes from it to Austin. So yeah, I think there's just a lot out there if you're interested in this topic and, um, I think there's just so much too, we can learn. Both of us are blessed with, friends who are in these beautiful Christian marriages. And so I know I've learned so much as someone who's not married yet, spending time with them. So I think that's a really it's a fun way to, um, to just learn by their witness. Mm, yeah, totally. If you want a lot more unsolicited and maybe unwelcome advice, check out some of our other episodes. Uh, <laughs> you can, you can email us. I'll put the email in the show notes. As always, we appreciate uh, any comments, feedback, anything like that. Feel free to feel free to let us know what you think. Thank you very much, and see you as a door.